It is Wednesday, December 1st, Christmas month. Christmas month is upon us. Are you excited? And Delira, are you excited? Welcome to the programme. Do reach me through the website richieallen.co.uk. Leave me a comment during the next couple of hours. I have two, I think, very interesting guests for you to listen to. If you'd like to comment, do it through the website. Comment live at the top of the page. You are very welcome to Wednesday's programme, December 1st, as I said. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, a number of you reached me through the website to tell me about a lady called Melissa Shumay. Melissa is an investor from Northern Ireland who made some videos recently which went viral. Videos about lockdowns and what might be really going on. She's very, very articulate. And she's very nice. I spoke with her earlier on today and I asked her to come on and talk to me about her thoughts on lockdowns from a financial point of view, what people should do with their money. Not that she tells people what to do. She just gives her opinion and you might act on that. We'll talk pensions. We'll talk great reset. We'll talk financial collapse and much more with Melissa Shumay. That's in the second hour. Now, before that, we're going to talk to Janet. Janet works in a care home in the United Kingdom, somewhere in the UK. It is a private care facility. And a friend of Janet's reached out to say, Richie, you might want to talk to her because she's going to lose her job in the next few weeks. And she has fascinating insights into what has happened in the last 18 to 20 months within the care home she worked in. And she can talk about a number of things. There's the treatment of elderly people, but also vaccine injuries as well. So Janet's going to join me this hour for a conversation. You don't want to miss that. And later, Melissa Shumay. It is a Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. It's live. And it's live. From BBG Towers here in Salford. Super Salford. Super Salford. I see the Salford Reds are rising and all of that. Yeah. Absolute mont. Nice to be with you, to be with you. Nice. Madness everywhere. The World Health Organization says it expects to have more information on the Omicron variant and how it spreads in the coming days. Now, the World Health Organization gave a press conference today. Bit bizarre. There was about nine of them, or ten of them. Ten representatives of the World Health Organization. Your man, Ryan, Mike Ryan, was there from Ireland. Ted Ross was there. Ted Ross... McIntosh Gebra Jesus I can't pronounce his bloody name be Jesus anyway Tedros was there but I'll tell you who else was there Dr Maria Van Kerkhove was there she's an epidemiologist and she says that one scenario is well that Omicron might become more transmissible than Delta but we have to be caution we have to exert some caution or, or practice caution and not get too bogged down with best case worst case scenarios here is a smidgen of Dr. Maria van Kerkhove from the World Health Organization. It's still very early days in terms of our understanding of this variant, and again, we're grateful for the information that's coming in daily. Um, there is the possibility, we don't have all the information yet on transmission uh, in terms of if there is a fitness advantage, if it's more transmissible. Um, there is some suggestion of that, but again, it's early days. We expect to have more information on transmission um, within days, not necessarily weeks, but in days. 
In terms of the severity profile, uh, we have seen uh, reports of cases of, with Omicron that go from mild disease all the way to severe disease. Um, there is some uh, indication that uh, some of the patients are presenting with mild disease, but again, it's early days, and we do have a surveillance bias right now in terms of the cases that are being detected. Um, there is also a suggestion of increased hospitalizations across South Africa. What? Increased hospitalizations across South Africa with Omicron. Any proof, Maria? Okay. I just want to just make it up as you go along. But that could be a factor of the, of the sheer fact that we have more cases. Ah. If you have more cases, you'll have more hospitalizations. She's making it up. So with regards to severity, there are studies that are underway looking at hospitalizations, looking at those individuals who are hospitalized, uh, whether or not they have this variant or not. Um, and we're also getting up a picture of some of the cases that are detected in other countries. So as the Director General mentioned, um, there are reports of Omicron in 23 countries. We expect that number to change. Oh yeah, it'll change. She wraps up here, and this is the interesting bit. Um, but we don't know quite yet about the severity. I do think we should caution about sort of a you know, best case, worst case scenario. Um, the more this virus circulates, the more infections there will be. The more infections there will be, the more people will die. And this is something that can be prevented. So everything that we can do for Delta, which is dominant worldwide, needs to be applied and strengthened for Omicron. So whatever, however this unfolds, the way that we act now, the decisions that are taken now in every country, will benefit however Omicron unfolds. Right, so she said needs to be applied and strengthened, she said. So what we're doing for Delta, we need to apply that to Omicron, but strengthen it. Applied and strengthened for Omicron. Wow. Why would you want to do that when you know very little about it? Applied and strengthened for Omicron. Yes, they're listening, by the way. The international politicians are listening and they are strengthening, reapplying restrictions all over the world and Europe in particular. That was Van Kerkhove, Maria Van Kerkhove. Now, the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has said today that she thinks it's time for EU member states to consider mandatory vaccinations. This is, this is open tyranny now. Okay, von der Leyen said such measures were required due to the emergence of Om Omicron. So Omicron is here. We don't know anything about it, except that the person who discovered it says it's nothing to worry about whatsoever. But we should think about talking about mandating vaccinations across the European Union. On the one hand, said von der Leyen, we have the virus and the variants. On the, on the other hand, we have vaccination and boosters. And I want the second part to win. She went on to say, not each and everybody can be vaccinated, but the vast majority could. Therefore, I think it is understandable and appropriate to lead this discussion now on how we can encourage and potentially think about mandatory vaccination within the European Union. This needs discussion. This needs a common approach. But it is a discussion that I think has to be led. That's Ursula von der Leyen. Now, the BBC is reporting this afternoon that it has seen leaked minutes of a meeting of the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies from Monday. So two days ago, SAGE, which advises the government on how to respond to COVID, met, and the minutes of that meeting have been leaked to the BBC. And this is what is contained in the minutes. 
It is important to be prepared for a potentially very significant wave of infections with associated hospitalizations now ahead of data being available. So Sage is saying, ahead of knowing what Omicron is, we need to prepare for infections and hospitalizations. And to, to do that, to prepare, they say the earlier measures are taken to reduce transmission, the stronger they are, and the wider their geographical coverage will be. And here's a direct quote. The situation could develop quickly over the coming weeks and decision makers may need to act while there is a high level of uncertainty, including the potential need for stringent response measures. Stringent. This is directly from Sage's notes now. While there is a high level of uncertainty, in other words, while the public is confused and you've got them chasing their tails with all of the fear porn in the media, maybe now's the time for stringent response measures. This is absolute fuckery, this. And I said it today, I said it last week, I said it last year. All roads lead to mandatory vaccination for the global population. That's where it's going. Nick Ferrari is a radio presenter. Allegedly, he works for LBC. Today, he decided that he would do his bit in the, well, in the UK media effort to convince people that those of us who have refused the toxic jabs on offer, well, that we're dangerous and that something needs to be done about us. Today, he talked about fining us, maybe, and uh, listen to this. We've tried the education, we've tried the carrot, we now move to the stick. If it Tried the education, tried persuading, now the stick. We've tried the education, we've tried the carrot, we now move to the stick. If it takes time now, the time to fine people, great. Let's start. Let's never move 100 euros, make it 100 pounds, right? And it starts, and I'll tell you what, it's not 60, but let's make it 40 and above, starting on Monday. 40 and above starting on Monday. So Ferrari got his way from Monday. Anybody 40 and over who is still refusing to be jabbed would be fined £100 every month until they see sense. OK. Now, if we come round, knock on the door, and you can show on your phone or you've got a letter or something, you've got an appointment, that's fine. But if you willfully oppose now, you're 40 and above, £100 fine in December, £100 fine in January... £200 in February, £300 in March. Ah, on an increasing scale, Nick Ferrari says. On an increasing scale, 200 300 400 Nick Ferrari advocates somebody coming to knock on your door to check your vaccination status via your phone. And unless you've got a very good reason to, to not be having the jabs like a medical exemption, well, you should be fined. And I've written about this today and I've written about it many times. And I've spoken about it many, many, many times on this programme. This is where it's going. We are being primed by, by we. I don't mean you and I don't mean me because we're not stupid. We're not asleep. We know where this is going. The population is being primed to accept that this is inevitable. Hence, constant phone-in shows on BBC Radio 5 Live. Constant discussions on programmes like the Jeremy Vine Show, on This Morning on ITV, on Good Morning Britain. For the last two weeks, it has been relentless. What do we do about the unjabbed? Now, why do you think yesterday Boris Johnson and Sajid Javid said, we're going to make sure that by the end of January, January 31st, we will have offered every adult a booster in the country? Why are they being so specific? 
Now, you might say, well, that's a bit silly, Richie. They're just giving themselves a target. No, they're not. I don't believe. I've got to be honest here. This is conjecture. This is my opinion. I can't prove this. I believe that they're they're doing this because after that, they're going to say, well, we've given everybody a chance now, but hospitalizations are terrible. NHS is collapsing. It's just not good enough anymore that certain people won't have the job. Now, why am I even more convinced of that today? I'll tell you why. Because the incoming German Chancellor, a guy called Olaf Scholz, I think I've said that correctly, Olaf Scholz, he's incoming and he is desperately keen to mandate the jab for every German man, woman and child unless they have an exemption. And he said, he said, and this is why we say lockstep, the language is very similar everywhere. Schultz said to the German media, I want to give everybody till January or February the chance to have the jab. It's after that we'll mandate it. And that's why I'm convinced, and I've been convinced for a long time, that in the early new year, they will attempt to mandate the jabs in this country. I will be so glad if we get to March, April, May of next year and that hasn't happened. Oh, I won't be hiding. God, no, I'll be here saying I got it wrong again because I've, I am known, I have been known to be wrong quite regularly over the years, you know. Don't ask me for the lotto numbers. Don't ask me for predictions. Anyway... They're masking the kiddies everywhere. It's shocking stuff. This this is torture. It's psychological torture of children. It's child abuse on any level. It's child abuse. Doing it here, doing it in Ireland. In Ireland, third class children. By third class, I don't mean third class children. It's that they're, they're, I don't know. They're somewhere below working class children and, I don't know, homeless children. Third class, that, that is third form. Nine-year-old kids. So if you're a nine-year-old school kid in Ireland, you've got to be masked in class. Here's the Irish broadcaster, Radio Telefichair and RTE1. Pupils from third class upwards are now required to wear face masks in school with exemptions for children who can provide a medical certificate. The Minister for Education said schools will adopt a practical approach to implementing the new rules over the next few days. From today, children from third class and up are required to wear face masks at school and can be refused entry if they do not. However, the Department of Education has said schools can be flexible in applying the rule in the first couple of days. While schools can have some discretion and exemptions are allowed, in the main, a medical certificate will be needed. A medical certificate. Would you like to hear the Irish Minister for Education? No? Tough shit, Paddy. Her name is Norma Foley. Oh, what a little bitch she is. Listen to this. Schools, as usual, will take a practical approach over the next day or two, as has been communicated, in, uh, in order to communicate the new measures to parents and ensure parents have the opportunity to provide masks to children. The measure is being introduced on a temporary basis and is subject to review in mid-February of 2022. Temporary, my arse. You will appreciate, Deputy, that this is a public health measure. It is guided by public health. It is the strong recommendation of the CMO and indeed of NEFET that this is an additional tool for our schools. Mm, public health. In a letter circulated to parents today, the chief medical officer said there has been a significant and rapid deterioration with very high incidence in the unvaccinated 5 to 11 year old age group. You hear that? You hear that lie there? The media is reporting what Ireland's chief medical officer has said. The media is not interested in any proof whatsoever. They will just parrot the claim. The claim is a lot of incidents 
of COVID infection in 5 to 11 year olds. Now you and I both know that is horse manure and that is not conjecture. That's fact. There is no way 20 months into this that 5 to 11 year olds are, are infections are more prevalent in 5 to 11 year olds in Ireland or anywhere else. This is tyranny folks. Rapid deterioration with very high incidence in the unvaccinated 5 to 11 year old age group. Bullshit. And of course the vaccines haven't been rolled out for 5 to 11 year olds in Ireland yet but they will be. Real soon, real soon. Which, he said, is a cause for some concern. He appealed to parents to make a concerted effort. Parents are... Parents, parents, please, please, we want you to help us, join with us in psychologically abusing your own children. Let's let's do that. Let's terrorise your children into believing that they are nothing more than biological weapons that could kill granny or granddad at any minute. So get them to mask up. Tell them that infection is spreading like wildfire through their age group. Just terrorise your children, parents. Why not? Come and join us in ruining the mental well-being of a nation's children and, and, and ruining their futures. How about that? Yours faithfully, Chief Medical Officer. That's how the letter would have went, if he'd, if he'd been honest. It's the same here as well. Secondary school kids are being asked to wear masks in communal areas, though not in classes yet, though some teachers and head teachers want to see the kids masked up in the classes. Listen to this woman. Her name is Melinda Mills. And she's a sociologist, Melinda Mills. And she's speaking here on Good Morning Britain this morning. And I think it's really important to emphasize. So um, I'm speaking on behalf of scientific evidence as well. So if we look at the evidence, and it's really very clear, there are there's no evidence that shows that uh, face masks, wearing face coverings cause harm in children. Actually, it's exactly the opposite, <laughs> that uh, um, there's been several studies in the U.S., for example, in over a thousand schools in Arizona. And what they found is that the schools where they didn't wear masks, um, the, you know, they had a three times higher infection rate. Um, there's other studies that have also showed masks combined with ventilation also, you know, significantly lower the infection rate in schools. So it's really, um, you know, your, your, your previous speaker was talking about, um, you know, children and, and, and that it harms them. There's no evidence. There's an abundance of evidence, an abundance. There was a German study, not the one that was retracted. Some studies that claimed masks were harmful were retracted, but there's a German peer-reviewed study that says that the content of the masks themselves are treacherous. The chemicals contained within the masks are treacherous to people. As there's a dozen or so studies saying that inhaling, you know, not being able to properly exhale your own CO2 is not good for you. But that's just the physical side of it. What about the psychological damage? Evidence. And in fact, it's to the contrary. But she doesn't know, but Robert Rinder who's a kind of a poor man's Judge Judy on telly. He was sitting in for, I don't know, Richard Madeley on Good Morning Britain, and Rinder wanted to get, a, what he wanted to get stuck into her. Sir, uh, Mills, you know, there'll be lots of people screaming into their television screens, not least because uh, I respect your academic qualifications in sociology, but you are... How can you respect a sociologist? Give me a break. That's not a science. Not an expert in epidemiology um, or, or, or psychology. And one of the complaints here is this will do enduring emotional violence to, to, to young people. Uh, you say or claim, my language, not yours, that these young children are vectors of transmission. But, of course, most of their parents in this country and their grandparents will be double jabbed and then hopefully boosted. Yeah, so what's the bloody point in getting doubly jabbed and boosted if the children still represent such a threat? 
Uh, so, so what's the point of it? What's the point? She took, well, she, um, it pinched, it pinched his, uh, it pinched her a little bit. It wounded her, his categorization of her qualifications. Yeah, so um, uh, it's interesting how you try to discount my qualifications. You're a f***ing sociologist. Um, I wrote a very uh, detailed report about face coverings for the Royal Society. I wrote a report about face coverings for the Royal Society. Piss off, love. Hey, here's a giggle for you. On Radio 5 Live this morning, just after 6 o'clock, I was in the park. In the dark, MacArthur's Park, listening to Richard Harris and Radio 5 Live at the same time. I was in the dark in MacArthur's Park and I heard Radio 5 Live do an interview with a scientist called Ellie Gaunt in, in well, in, in, in Scotland. Yes, in Scotland. And she had this to say and I thought you might like to hear it. Well, it, you know, the, the, the opportunity for you hasn't... Oh, I better set it up a bit better than that. She was asked about, well, the unjapped. What are we going to do? A guy called Rick Edwards. He's the guy that replaced Nikki Campbell. Uh, she was asked, what are we going to do about the unjabbed? What should we say to the unjabbed? And she said this. Well, it, you know, the, the, the opportunity for you hasn't gone. It's, um, we, we know that we're facing a really hard winter. We know that any um, potential side effects from vaccines are far, far worse than the side effects from, from infection. So it's really... What was that? What was that? Did you tell the truth there? Did you love? Did you love? Did you tell the truth? Uh, really hard winter. We know that any um, potential side effects from vaccines are far, far worse than the side effects from, from infection. So it's really... A yeah, the side effects from vaccines are far, far worse than the side effects from COVID infection. The truth, the truth, the truth will set you free. Well done, Ellie Gaunt. Okay, okay, okay. I know she got it mixed up. I know she got it mixed up. She meant to say that the side effects from the virus are worse than the side effects from the vaccines. But maybe it was a Freudian slip. Maybe she knows anyway. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show. This is Bob Seger. Welcome to the program. Thanks for joining me. Took a look down over Bob Seger's end and roll me away on the Richie Allen Show for Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. Christmas month. Let's hold on to that thought. Let's say hello to Janet. Just before we say hello to Janet, a friend of hers reached out to me and said, Richie, you might want to talk to Janet because she's worked in a private nursing home for, well, for a while, but for, for the duration of the so-called pandemic. And she might very well lose her job uh, this Christmas, believe it or not. And she can talk about that and what it means for her and other care workers in a similar position. But Janet has also got some interesting observations working in the home she has worked in over the past year, including observing how the pandemic impacted the residents of her home at the very beginning, but also what happened when the jabs were first rolled out at the beginning of this year. Delighted to welcome Janet to the programme. Janet, you're very welcome indeed. Thanks for taking the time out to speak to us. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. For I'll start, Janet, with the first depressing, you know, bit of your of, of your message. And that is you think that you might end up leaving the home this Christmas, even though as I understand it, you've got a really nice manager who's doing his or her best to kind of facilitate you not wanting to have a job and to facilitate you continuing in the home. Tell us about that. Yes, I have a very good manager and she doesn't want to lose me. And I certainly don't want to leave the job because I love my job. Uh, 
I should have left on the 11th of November, but she, um, she suggested getting an exemption from my doctor, which I am trying to do at the moment. I haven't received anything. So even if I get the exemption, I still have to leave by the 24th of December. Now, the exemption, you said in your message that you you understand that doctors might be being discouraged from giving exemptions. Listen, you certainly don't don't give us any of your your, your medical data or your medical details because it's none of our business. But mm -hmm. um, I would have thought that your 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 regular GP would would have been inclined to want to help you out there. But 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 it's it's not proving to be the case. Is that right? I believe so. I, um, there was one other person in the nursing home who didn't want to take the jab and they tried to get an exemption and the doctor wouldn't give it to them. So, look, I might get it, but even if I do get the exemption, I still have to leave by the 24th of December. Would you anyway, even with an exemption? Pardon? That that surprises me. I would have thought that anybody working in social care or in private nursing homes, if they have an exemption from the jabs, the exemption would, would protect you from losing your job. Have I got that wrong? Yeah, I be yes, you've got that wrong. Even if I get an exemption, it only lasts until the 24th of December. No way. Mm. But that's, that's tyranny, that. <laughs> Who, yes. I, I know you're laughing. Who am I telling? You're living through this. But but what yeah. does that mean? I mean, you've, there are human rights issues at stake here. If you're exempt from receiving any medicine, you can't be losing your job over it. This is extraordinary. Uh, it, 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 yes, it is. But the CQC have said, have stated that they won't allow me to stay on. Um, I will say that my manager is doing her very best to keep me and... If possible, I don't know, maybe she will just keep me under the radar. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know yet. It, it would be lovely if people started to do that, you know, just ignore these mm -hmm. disgusting mandates. And, you know, I, I mean, you must be very valuable to your manageress and to your care home and, and the prospects of losing people like you, experienced people, compassionate people. It must be a terrible thing for managers and manageresses. Can we go back to the beginning of this then? Because mm -hmm. um, what are your recollections of when w we were told that there's a virus and that we need to uh, to lock down and that it's dangerous and that it's very it's particularly dangerous for 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 older people? Go go back to say March, April last year. And what were your observations then? Were you very concerned at that time that it might be a very difficult time for the residents of the home? Yes, for the residents, uh, I, I was never particularly um, concerned. Uh, the first year in 2020, uh, I noticed that was only one resident who became sick. And she's in her 90s and underlying health conditions, but she recovered uh, with very little um, medication. She just recovered. And then we had no more cases for 2020. You're kidding me. No, we didn't have any more cases, just the one. Just the one. And again, without giving too much away, Janet, what kind of a size of nursing home would it be in terms of numbers of residents? About 39 residents. Well, that's, 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 that's a lot, isn't it? That's, that's, a, that's a very big facility. And one senior 
was ill, but not badly ill, and recovered. And nobody else. Nobody else. That must have been a surprise to a lot of people. Maybe maybe some of your colleagues, some of your co-workers, because, you know, the, the word in the media and, you know, the word on television was, well, this is deadly and it's killing lots and lots of people. So it must have been a surprise that um, it didn't really have any impact at all there. We believed that we were looking after the residents very well. Yeah. Um, yes, and we were keeping it out of the nursing home. That's what we believed, yeah. So your particular I, home, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm with you. So you think it's because of the measures you were taking that yes. that, that meant that, that they were okay? Uh, that's yes. fascinating. Janet is on the line. Janet works at a private nursing home in the UK, facing losing her job, sadly, in the next few weeks. It's hoping to get an exemption. But even then, the exemption won't be enough because the CQC, which, which of course governs, you know, uh, private and, and public nursing homes in the country, says it won't be enough that people will have to leave and and uh, and move on anyway. Before we talk about and lose their jobs anyway, before we talk about your observations when the jobs came about, Janet, um, what are you hearing again through colleagues who who might know? staff from other care homes about the amount of people walking away right now is 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 it a big hemorrhaging of staff now in in care do you think right now oh right not from my nursing home because i'm the only you're the only one, one. apart yeah. from the chef um i have heard yes in other nursing homes they're losing people um it just depends uh, Another nursing home, I think they might have left four, lost four staff. Um, I don't know too much about other nursing homes. Yeah, no, no, it was just just an off-the-cuff question. Maybe you might have heard anecdotally from uh, from others. Now, th I think this, th this day last year, or maybe a few days later, they approved the Pfizer-BioNTech jab, and a couple of weeks later, they started giving it. And in, mm -hmm. in, in very early this year, they started administering these jabs in nursing homes. And what you saw then, I think, is very interesting. What happened when, when this was rolled out? Right. Very soon after the residents were given the vaccination, um, 38 residents. So it left one resident who did not get sick, but 38 residents were very sick. 38 were very sick after getting... That's yes. That's over 99%, right? Yes. Now, Janet, do you swear to this? Like, nearly every one of them got sick and badly sick. Every Everyone got sick except one. And some of them very sick. Tell us about those. Some of them very sick and uh, they having difficulty breathing um, and very poorly. Uh, after, uh, within, a, I guess, a short period of time, maybe a few months, no, less than that, eight to nine residents of those 38 died. Eight or nine of them actually passed away. And you said within a reasonably short amount of time after yes. having the jab. And yes. did, did anybody raise the alarm about this and, and ask, well, maybe... Maybe there's something wrong here. Um, or maybe I should put the question to you. Could it be coincidental 
you know, a, resi- a residential home for senior citizens. I, I sadly, I suppose it's a fact. People do die there because they're at the end of life anyway. Yes, yes. But but you think the jabs might have contributed to it? Well, normally in a year, in a short period of time, we might have one die, maybe two, but eight or nine. That's highly unusual. So normally maybe one, maybe two, but eight or nine in such a short space of time. And and nobody was asking any questions. No. Janet is on the line. We're we're talking about uh, a private nursing home in the UK that Janet has worked at for some time, has worked there through the whole COVID ordeal. And we've talked about, you know, her potentially losing her job, more than likely sadly losing her job uh, this side of Christmas but also the jab rollout earlier this year and the impact that had on residents in in the in the care home there. Um, stupid question maybe, how did you feel about that? I mean, did, did, did that concern you greatly when you saw that? Yes, of course. Of course, because these residents all had to be isolated in their rooms. Um, they weren't allowed any visitors in um it's horrible to see and i do remember one resident who was on the ground floor and um her granddaughter the only way she could see her grandmother was through a window on the ground floor and she she wasn't able to come in and hug her grandmother before she died and this is when this is when it was known that somebody was going to die. They weren't given the access to uh, to, to yeah. family that they should have been given. It I, was end of life. She was end of life. End yes. of life. And how? What were those conversations like with family members? Because I can imagine some of them, some some family members must have become irate or at least angry at the lack of access. Well, I really didn't have a great deal to do with the family members. It would have been the nurses. But I do remember saying to this uh, this girl outside the window, I remember saying to her, well, if it was up to me, I'd let you in. But it, it really is up to the nurses, not up to the carers. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how the, resident, uh, how the family members felt. And did any of them... You know, of the eight or nine who died, did did any family members ask any questions about the the vaccination process? I don't. I'm unaware of that. I, I, yeah. Maybe unaware. not to you, but but maybe but maybe to maybe to the nurses, um, in the facility. Wow, <laughs> I've had this from you know I've had private messages from people who work in care homes and. I've not read a lot of them out because you know it's unfair because it's anecdotal and then. People don't, you know, people don't give me their real names. But I've had a lot from people who say that when they rolled the jabs out earlier this year, there was an increase in fatalities in the homes. But but yet nobody has raised the alarm. I think the BBC ran a story, which was subsequently taken down from the BBC website. That was back in February about oh. there being about people dying in care homes. But uh, wow. And the workers now, you only yourself and the chef have not had the job no. yeah uh, with, just two of us that's a, and that's amazing really you you would have thought more would have said well 
no, you know, if the virus, if I'm going to get it, I probably have had it by now. I, maybe I don't, I don't need it, but they've, they've had it. And I, I know this is opinion now, and I'll say this, it's only your opinion, but what have you observed? Has, has, has it had any impact on, on staffing the jobs? Have they had any impact on, you know, people working shifts or fulfilling their duties? Has anybody been injured, I suppose, or has anybody had any reaction to any of these jobs that you know? Well, this is what I've I've observed. Um, one care worker has had a seizure. Uh, another care worker has a DVT, deep vein thrombosis. Another worker has blood clots on her arms. Uh, another worker, after the vaccination, her right arm and leg, she, uh, it. There was great pain, nerve pain, and she hasn't been able to work for quite a few months. Um, on top of that, there's always someone sick. Uh, so we struggle to cover the shifts. Would that be the case, before we come back to those incidents, would that be the case at this time, Janet, in, you know, in any other year anyway, because this is the season of respiratory infections would you be would you be down staff anyway yes we would be down staff but not as much as we are at the moment and also we're struggling to get more staff to yeah. join the company um so and yeah. they wouldn't be the you know back in 2019 or 2018 they wouldn't be missing their shifts because of numbness and soreness in their arms and legs and they wouldn't be missing their shifts because of blood clots either and yeah. again i know it's probably sensitive for you to be speaking to people about these things and maybe sometimes we think it's probably best to bite our tongues but have you asked any of the people that have had what might be a bad reaction to the jabs have you asked them are they concerned that it was the jab that did it uh, it's a difficult one is it it is very difficult because simply because I haven't had the jab, right. then, which everybody in the nursing home knows I haven't. And I don't say a lot about my views. So I have to be a bit careful with what I say to people. Um, I, I just notice it. Uh, I, think, I think some of them are a bit concerned uh from what i overhear but i don't specifically go and ask them uh whether they think the vaccination has has caused these problems and you said to me in your message that you were kind of you you remain amazed that listening to them talk about these problems that they don't seem to make any connection between the jabs and you know the the dvt or or the tingling or the blood clots, they just don't seem to make any connection. No, none at all. And it, it just staggers me. Um, I wonder, I what can I say? It's almost like... Um, Cognitive dissonance is what it is. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, because, you know, if any of us were, were to come down with tingling or numb, arms or even a blood clot the first thing you do is you start to think about what you might have taken what you might have eaten what medicines you might have been on it's the very first thing you would imagine that you would think about 
and for people to be mm. seemingly blissfully unaware that there might be I'm not saying there is but there might be a connection between uh, the yeah. jabs and 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 and, and the, the the health problems what will it mean for you I mean I'm sure it'll be a financial jolt for you and for anybody else but you said it the at the top of the conversation that you love your job what what what, what, what and, and I'm not trying to make you upset at all yeah. um, what would it mean for you not to be doing the job not to be going into work and taking care of people I shall be very sad because I I love working with the elderly and uh, I like working in a nursing home because you work as a group um, as a team and I will miss the residents um, you really get to you get to know them, um, you care for them. I would miss them very much, and I would miss my co-workers. There's that camaraderie. This is the thing. It's interesting. A friend of mine has been working from home for the last two years. He works for a company in Dublin, and he said to me he really misses, you know, just the chat and the bit of crack. And, you know, the, the occasional drink after work on a Friday and all of that is gone. And you'd miss that. You'd miss that human interaction, I suppose. Oh, definitely. Yes. Both from my co-workers and especially the residents, because you do become very fond of them. And, you know, I was going to ask about that, becoming fond of people. Is that a blessing and a curse at the same time? Because, you know, people go into nursing homes when you know they've worked all their lives they've raised children they've had a nice retirement but now they need a bit of help looking after themselves you know it's kind of the very last chapter i suppose so i, I could imagine it's a course and a blessing getting very close to people because it obviously has an impact on you then when you know when they when they pass on uh, how do i feel about that um the only way i look at it is I look after them as best I can when they're alive. And you make their last days, weeks, hours as comfortable as possible. That's how I look at it. So it's just, it's a part of life. And I yeah. enjoy being with them at the end of their life. And is it another question I wanted to ask a, a carer? I would put great value in carers. I'm not just saying that because you're here. I really would. I think it's a wonderful thing to do. But but I often wonder about the type of person that should be doing it. Is there a special type of person? Is there, a, you know, are there characteristics that would, would, would be unique to people who work in care? Because I, I would imagine it doesn't suit everybody. Like I've looked at various documentaries in the past and I've looked at, um, you know, sometimes very young people working in care and working in care facilities and they might be lovely these young people but i've often kind of wondered if it's the best thing for them to be you know you know working with and caring for 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 elderly people if they're i don't know experienced enough if they've had enough life experience to do it does it take a special type of person to do the, to do the job properly and with empathy uh, you have to like the elderly. You have to love them. Um, I we we have young people in the nursing home, and they are lovely with the elderly. You don't have to be any particular age. Um, there was a questionnaire given to all the residents a short while ago, and I read 
I re read their replies and the number one thing that the residents want is kindness. So I think that's the number one thing you have to show them. Kindness is the number one thing. You have to like working with the elderly. You have to have a sense of humour. I can imagine. And be patient yeah. and be very patient, I would imagine. Be patient. They they tell you stories and they like to have a joke. Yeah. And it's so important to laugh with them and to um, be mindful of of how they feel. And are you aware from time to time that, you know, eventually, because time is promised to nobody, but eventually mm -hmm. it might be you, Janet. You know, you might be in a facility and you, you, you'll you be aware of the needs of people because you care for them. And you might think, well, eventually it'll be me. You know, and I, I, I hope that, you know, I would be taken care of in, in the same way that you take care of of your own residents. Sorry, what was the question? No, 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 it was just an observation, really. No, I'm, oh, I'm you know, um, just, just, just you being aware of, you know, the importance of looking after people and thinking that, well, eventually it might be yourself, you know, it might be you, it might be me that might need to be in a nursing home and you'd like to be treated very well and you'd like to be humoured and you'd like to be treated kindly. I would imagine it's something that might occur to you from time to time. Occasionally, yes, yeah. occasionally, yeah. Do you think with everything that's going on, and it is tyranny, that ultimately this is this is this is treacherous for for the care of of elderly people that this is this is going to be hugely damaging for the well-being of senior citizens in this country it's obvious isn't it it goes without saying yes yeah obviously it's the isolation where if they have been tested for covid which they are regularly and if the test comes positive they are isolated in their rooms and, you know, I have seen elderly people who have absolutely no symptoms, but they have to be isolated in their room for nearly two weeks. And that is devastating for them. And the test they were given might very well have turned up a, a false positive because we know that they, they use a PCR test and they amplify the samples they take yeah. from people far too many times. So, yeah. so God love the senior person. He or she might not be, you know, uh, have not got any uh, virus in their system, and yet they're sent for two weeks. That's almost like, that's almost like solitary confinement. Absolutely, absolutely, it is. And um, one resident recently had to stay in his home in in his room for nearly two weeks, and um, he just shouted out the whole time. My and God. Because when someone who is tested positive, we have to gown up and put all the protection on us. And so therefore, uh, he wouldn't get as much social interaction as he normally would. For two weeks, and, and some people who might be isolated for two weeks, they might yeah. be living with dementia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meaning that it's completely confusing for them. They don't understand yeah. why it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's extremely sad. Now, you said the manageress is a nice person. I have no doubt she is. Mm -hmm. Is there any room for, for managers or manageresses to just ignore this nonsense and just, 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 just do things the way they were done in 2019? Gosh, I don't know. I hope so. 
I, I really hope so. I, I, I do feel that my manager, if she can find any way to keep me, she will. Yeah. But but in terms know. in terms of isolating a senior mm. because he or she tested positive for for COVID and there's nothing wrong with the person. They're not sneezing. They don't have a sore throat. I'm mm. wondering why, you know, you know the compassionate managers why they don't just ignore the nonsense and refuse to isolate people or just keep it on the QT. Is there any room for that or is the is the scrutiny so so much that it's difficult to do that, to, to ignore the rules? I, I believe so. I'd, maybe it's because it's all been normalised and right. maybe it's because there's a number of nurses in the home. So to go against sort of like protocol at the moment would be tricky. And uh, it could be terminal for somebody's employment. Yeah. Yeah. Janet, I, Janet, I, I hope to God that you don't end up losing your job, but I think you're kind of half resigned to it, aren't you? I'm, I'm, yes. Uh, yes, what, what will be, will be. If I keep it, that will be wonderful. If I don't, then I'll find someone else to care for. Yeah. Just just before we, we say goodbye today, you talked about the doctor. I'm wondering whether it's a, a, your, your local NHS surgery or I'm wondering if it's private. Maybe seeing a private doctor where you're, you know, paying, and I know it's, it's blooming expensive. I had to do it myself uh, 10 days ago. But maybe there might be more look you know, persuading a doctor to give you an exemption. I don't know. But then you said it won't matter anyway. Look, it's worth, it is worth... Um, it's worth trying, isn't it? It's worth trying, yes. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and sharing that information. It's important that people hear about the injuries, particularly back in January when they started giving the jabs to the residents and and so many people passed away. That's vital. It's vital because people need to hear it not because I'm telling anybody they shouldn't take this or they shouldn't take the jabs. I would never do that. Everybody should make their own minds up, but they need to hear this stuff. Uh, but but just thanks, uh, Janet, and just absolute best of luck uh, to you. And thanks um, to your friend for reaching out and connecting us on the programme today. All the best to you and Merry Christmas. Thank you very much and to you. Thanks, Janet. That's Janet there who has worked in a private nursing home for some time in the UK and uh, has, has done it throughout the course of the last 20 months, sharing her observations of how people have been treated. How, how could anybody, this, this, this really, this is the kind of thing that does perplex me. I know, you know, keeping your job, not being fired. Um, I know having bills to pay and food to put on tables for children. And I understand that, but how, can you go along with a system that says if the person tests positive, they've got to be isolated in their own bedroom for two weeks? And that when anybody goes to see them, they've got to basically turn into Darth Vader, you know, they've got to put on all the gear and the, and the masks and the visors and everything. I mean, how that's, that's, that's torture, that, isn't it? Isn't it? You can comment through the website, richieallen.co.uk, comment live on the menu bar, it's uh, the Richie Allen Show for Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. Not far uh, away now, we'll be chatting, well, well, soon we'll be chatting with Melissa Shumay. I came across Melissa, well, firstly, through emails sent by you, 
because a video she made about lockdowns went viral and then she did some online podcasts. She did a couple of video uh, podcasts on YouTube and elsewhere where she talked about lockdowns, about money, about what's really going on and why. Very articulate lady. She's Irish. She'll be with us in a few minutes' time. We'll have a conversation. I will read your comments out in a moment, so keep them coming in. And uh, in the meantime, let's just do this then. Let's do this. Let's try to do this. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, the picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously. Ensignfilms.co.uk the Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Right, let me read some of your comments then and thank you for them, by the way. Gavin says, what a disgrace. Caring people like that lady are just discarded for not wanting a lethal injection. Potentially lethal, Gavin, but I, I hear you loud and clear. Ewan says, unfortunately, my partner's sister had a stroke seven weeks ago and is still in hospital. I'm sorry to hear that, Ewan. He says she had her first AstraZeneca jab back in April, priority because the lady has mental health problems. And she was put in hospital for two days, had the second jab and then a hospital visit for a second time. Then seven weeks ago, she had a stroke. When my partner was on the phone to the ward checking up on things, they actually asked her, my partner, if it was okay to give her sister her booster jab. This is from a person in a stroke ward. The jab they wanted to give was the Moderna jab. My partner said she didn't think it was the right thing to do and they asked her was it because she had the AZ jab. Words fail me, says Ewan. No proof it was conclusively the jab, but not one doctor or nurse has even mentioned that they may the jabs may be the cause of the stroke. No booster has been given yet, but they're itching to do it, that is for sure. Chris says tw- 24 dead in the Pemberley House Care Home in Basingstoke in January. That's the one that was reported by the BBC. Absolutely right. And then they said nothing to see here. It's It's winter. Old people die in the winter. They said nothing to see here. William says my local hospital has big staff shortages and so do three different schools that my children attend. Every big business in the area is struggling to get the numbers they need. All this in the past six to nine months. Nothing to see here, says William. Again, yeah, absolutely. They're talking about staff shortages, aren't they, in hospitality and stuff. And they're saying, oh, we don't have enough staff. And they're quickly, they're very quick to say, well, this is because of Brexit. Brexit is a problem here, and one thing and another. But there's a lot of people who who did work in, in, in hospitality, who came back to work and who had a jab and who were then injured by the jab. No doubt about that. No doubt it at all. No doubt at all. Okay, listen, there is a speech being given. There is a gathering in York on Saturday at one o'clock outside the Minster. A couple of people have mentioned this to me today. There is an anti-lockdown rally and an anti-presumably mandatory vaccination rally in York 
on Saturday at 1pm at the Minster. Gareth Ike and others will be speaking. Hopefully there will be thousands there. Thanks to Dougal uh, for that there. Charlie says, Richie, surely the people being threatened with sacking due to the lack of vaccine should just walk out. Don't bother trying to get exemptions. Just walk away. Uh, that, the dictate would change very quickly. Charlie, it's not as simple as that. The majority of people are saying yes, allegedly, within care. Maybe not the majority. But if you're in Janet's position and it's only you and the chef that have said no, everybody else has said yes and taken the job. You know, people have bills to pay. They have mortgages. People have bank loans to pay, car loans to pay. It's not as simple as just walking away. She doesn't want to have the job. She hasn't had the job. She's hoping that an exemption, you know, might buy her some time. I, I totally understand that, you know. I also agree with you in one sense. Yeah, walk out and stick your fingers up at them. It's not always as easy as that. And that's a fact. It's not always as easy as that at all. Shall we have a tune from Florence and the Machine? Why not? It's been a while since I heard this one. Sometimes I feel like You've got the love from Florence and the Machine on the Richie Allen Show for Wednesday, December 1st. It's exactly three minutes past the hour. Melissa Shumay should be with me in a couple of minutes' time. I'm looking forward to catching up with Melissa. We spoke earlier on the phone. Nice lady. You may have seen her videos. Let me just grab a, a little sup of water there again, this thing that I have, you know. I'm going to try and get a CT scan, <clears throat> just, to, just to update you. Because I know there's nothing more boring than being stuck with somebody giving you their medical history, you know. So I'll give you mine. I've had lung and chest problems my entire life, even though I've never smoked a tab man. Why I never smoked a cigarette because I've never been that dumb. Knowing that he's offending his friends, some of whom do smoke the occasional crafty cigarette. But I never did that to myself. Took care of myself over the years. Never took any, any drug except the dreaded alcohol, the demon drink. But um, I've been struggling badly with my breathing and coughing for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It won't go away, dagnabbit. So I'm going to have a CT scan. I'm going to beat up my local doctor to make sure I get it for free on the NHS because God knows I've made enough contributions over the years through national insurance and also through my taxes, God help me. So I'm going to demand a CT scan to see if there's something wrong with my lungs. It won't be anything bad. It'll be walking pneumonia or something like that. But Ah, sure, be jeepers. And like in Egypt, you know what? I just go out running anyway every day. Because I'm suicidal. I'm not really. And I hope I didn't offend anybody who might be. Daz says Richie. Looking forward to the North Unites gathering in York on Saturday. To hear Gareth Ike and Anna de Buisseret and many more. De Buisseret. When I chatted with Anna, she told me how to pronounce her surname. De Buisseret. That's the one. That's the one. I'm pretty sure. Give us a shout, says Daz. Daz, I've given you a shout. York. Saturday. North Unites, outside the Minster, at one o'clock. Be there or be square. Uh, Gareth Ike, always good value. And Anna, of course, the, the lawyer, you might want to listen to her too. Thanks for all the comments. Let's get uh, Melissa on the line. She's standing by. And I'm really glad that she's agreed to come on. And again, thanks to you for sending me copies of her videos because she made a, a, a video that went viral 
where she opined about lockdowns and what she thinks might be really going on. Now, she's an investor. She's from Northern Ireland. And she's often asked about what people should do with their money. Um, you know, we, we hear about inflation. Inflation is on steroids at the moment. The Bank of England has said inflation will grow and grow. In fact, this morning, the BBC reported that next year, pretty much every household in England will be £1,800 in, in not in the red, but it, it will cost £1,800 more at least next year to, to run your household in terms of bills and energy and one thing and another. Um, pensions is a big deal at the moment and mortgages. But I was really impressed watching Melissa Shumay on a couple of interviews I saw on YouTube and on BitChute where she talked about where she sees this whole COVID thing going and, and why some of the things that are happening are in fact happening. Spoke with her earlier on and she very kindly agreed to come on and chat with us this hour. Melissa, welcome to the programme. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me. Ah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for doing it as well. Such such short notice. Um, things are getting a bit mad, aren't they? The European Union, uh, the EU uh, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has said today that we need to have a conversation about mandating jabs across the Eurozone. It's all getting a bit spooky. What do you make of it? Well, my first question would be why? If 100% of people got the jab, that would not stop the spread. So why would anybody need to get these then? If it's a, it's, it's a purely selfish um, decision whether you want to get it or not, if you feel that you are vulnerable, then absolutely um, go ahead and get it. But for me to get it is not going to protect anybody else. So you have to look at the bigger picture. What is it actually about? If it's not about health, it's an economic decision. These passports are way more than um, vaccine passports. There's no um, data to support the, uh, that they stop transmission. In fact, CDC, Bill Gates, Fauci, Boris Johnson, they've all come out and said they don't do anything for transmission. These are data passports. They are um, consent passports. It's to move us into a new system, a new central bank digital currency system linked with social credits and carbon credits. That's what the passports are really for. Nobody can find any logical reason for them to be linked to any health reasons. Just to back up what you said there, there's an article in today's Telegraph uh, which quotes a number of scientists who make the very point you made there that there is no evidence whatsoever that introducing vaccine passports has yet, because it's, they've, they've been in operation in many places around the world, that it hasn't reduced transmission anywhere. So it's a stone cold fact that they don't do that. So so forget about bringing them in in order to keep people safe from a virus. You're convinced, Melissa, that it's about something far more sinister and far more deeper. It's about... Uh, Tell us about the social credit system. This has come up on the programme before. For for many of our listeners, this won't be new. But you articulated this beautifully. I'm not just blowing smoke at you. You did. You explained it in a way that nobody has managed to do, I don't think so far, where, where, the, where, you know, where somebody who's finding this programme for the very first time and who's maybe a bit nervous about what's happening and they never considered this stuff before, they should listen to you because you articulated brilliantly. Tell us about social crediting then and the centralised digital currency. What is a centralised digital currency as you understand it? 
essential bank digital currency is its slave coin, its surveillance coin. They have complete control over your individual. They can enact individual monetary policy. They can decide where you can spend it in the economy. They can tax you at will. They can fine you at will. They can put um, t a time frame on the when you can spend it. They can. So if you move that, then if you can combine that with a social credit system and their carbon credit system that you can be given an allowance for um, to eat meat, for fuel. They have complete control over the economy on an individual by individual basis. The question is, why are we moving into this and why are we moving into it so fast? To track that back, I mean, you could track it back further. Um, where I start with it is in 1971, when the dollar came off the gold standard, all currencies became fiat, they're all pegged to the dollar, which means that they're backed by nothing. It's a currency because the government said it is so. Yeah. And they can print at will. That began the consumer economy, the debt-based economy. 97% of all money in circulation right now is created from debt. This has been, there's the suggestion that we pay off the debt. It's actually impossible to pay off the debt. You'd have to shrink the economy and destroy the economy. This collapsed under the weight of its own greed in 2008. We've seen that with the housing because you were encouraged to get more and more and more debt. We were encouraged to be consumers, consume as much as possible, get a new car every two years, get a new TV every two years, new sofa, everything, consume, consume, consume. That failed. It completely failed in 2008. They managed to get it up and going long enough to get to 2019. In 2019, there was a meeting um, in August, uh, Jackson Hole meeting, Jackson Hole Symposium. <clears throat> it's kind of where bankers and economists go to meet to discuss. BlackRock made the decision to the central banks to go direct. This was in the August. In the September, the shadow banking system collapsed. This is like overnight money lending markets. They normally lend up at 2%, it went up to 10%. The central banks had to set, step in and start the money printing. Then, this we're talking now September 2019. Then in October, you had Bill Gates event 201, and then you have the current pandemic and the, all the money printing during it. But remember that the money printing did not start with a pandemic. The issue right now is the money printing. All fiat currencies eventually return to zero. The average life of a fiat currency is about 27 years. So if you take the pound, it's 300 years. That's, that's a stellar performance. But it has currently lost over 99% of its value. They are in a race to the bottom now with all currencies because they know this game is up and they have to reset and start the game. Again, this is why we are in inflation right now. People kind of attack the businesses and if you went for a cup of coffee and it's normally three pounds and now it's four, you, there's a tendency to blame the business. That's not the case. Inflation is money creation. That's the consequence of this money creation inflation is higher prices. This is where we are right now. You do have supply chain issues because they completely closed down the supply chain that took 
decades to build up to be a smooth running machine. So there is also issues with that. But the real issue is 40 percent of of the money that has been created has been created within this past 15 months. That is an attack. That is a tax by the government because they print that money. They get they get the access to it. It's going out to hedge fund um, managers there buying up all the actual assets and the people who have have saved anything, their purchasing power is decreasing with every attempt at money printing. And that's where people need to be very careful with their savings. With inflation, inflation is terrible for savers. It's an attack on savers because their purchasing power is decreased. If you um, if you could buy a house for 100,000, yeah, buy 10, but if you could buy a yeah, house yeah. for 100,000 right now with inflation, say, rising at 50, 100%, then it might cost you 200,000 for the same house in 12 months time. That So if you have 100,000 pounds in the bank right now, you can buy one house. Maybe if we move into hyperinflation, you would only be able to buy half a house. It's an attack on your purchasing power. It is good for those who hold assets. It's mainly an attack on poor people inflation. It's good for those who hold assets because their assets will perform um, with inflation. For those in debt, the inflation inflates away the burden of the debt. This is what the government seem to be doing. They're inflating away their debt as much as they can. Now, when you That's say, what I see happen. When you say their debt, do you mean the government is inflating away its own debt or the debt of the private citizen? No, it's its own it's debt. Own debt yeah. It's own debt. I mean, a lot of people have asked me in terms of mortgages, there seems to be this idea that there's going to be a debt amnesty because actuarially this system really can't survive beyond 2028. Uh, the World Bank came out with a white paper in April, a document in April 2020, very quickly after um, COVID, a month, yeah. detailing detailing what um, their plan for COVID. That ends in 2025. So that's where I see the time frame for this central bank digital currency coming in, somewhere between 20. 25 if they can hold out that long and 2028 moving towards agenda 2030. Now tell us Melissa, we, we've got Melissa Shumay on the line, I hope I'm pronouncing your surname correctly if yep. I'm not give me a yep. kick in the backside and, and tell <laughs> me how to pronounce it. Melissa is an investor and um, obviously a keen understanding of global financial markets. Now she'd be the first to say she's not an economist, fair enough but she, she's got more than a layperson's understanding of what's happening. Invited her on because of videos she's been um, featured in online, very, very articulate. This attack, this rising inflation to attack people like you and me, um, this is not just bad policy made by people who don't know what they're doing. Because of what you described earlier on, this move to a different way of living, this attack is deliberate, is it, to impoverish people, to wreck people, essentially, to wreck their... You know, the to get everybody present. dependent on yeah. the state, they completely shut the economy down. Um, what's happening right now in the economy is not based on COVID, it's due to government policy and, and it's a global government policy. But when you consider that globalisation really, in earnest, it took place when the all currencies were pegged to the dollar. When one falls now, they absolutely all fall. 
And that's where we are right now. They are getting everybody into, it seems to be a huge move towards, the objective seems to be a move towards a socialist utopia. That seems to be among the NGOs, the IMF, the WEF, the Davos crowd, are moving us towards a socialist, the concept of a socialist utopia. But within socialism, socialism sounds great, but it, it never actually works in reality because the concept that the the community owns the means of production, um, distribution, etc. When you break it down, the government ends up being the community. And if you look at Venezuela right now, an extremely rich country, the highest um, oil, they have the most oil, more than Saudi Arabia. One in three people are living in, um, one in three people don't have enough food to eat. 90% of the population are in poverty. Can I make an argument yeah. against that? Which I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know how much you know about me, but you might you might expect me to to to. Argue. I I make an argument against that. I I would I would consider. I used to consider myself to be a Bolivarian socialist, right? I used. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 I see? I've I've studied the life and times of Salvador Allende in Chile, mm-hmm. and I hear what you're saying. And around the world, it has happened. You know, the socialist, the community owns the, the means of production. Ultimately, in many places, you got tyranny. You got the government owning it. What I see in Latin America, particularly, was 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 not what you described. Was 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 in in Chile, for example, Allende nationalizing the the copper, taking the copper back, mm-hmm. taking taking land back from. Um, from prospectors that had, that had owned hundreds of thousands of acres of land for years. But, but what they didn't do was they didn't start hyper-taxing wealthy people in the country anyway. They made deals with industrialists and, 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 and capitalists in the country to say, look, you just look after your employees and we look after you. We'll tax you less. Everybody will do well. And we will use the country's national resources for the betterment of everybody. What I saw, Melissa, and this is just my opinion, I, I don't have to be right here, but what I saw was then the United States and others using institutions like the World Bank to basically destroy those countries by sanctioning them. You see, that was the type of socialism I, I could have lived with. I would be a fan of Hugo Chavez. I don't. Re- I would be a fan. If, yeah. if socialism was implemented correctly, yeah. yes, it would work, but it seems to be that it's a certain personality that manages to make its way into power, and that's the kind of personality that really should no, not be ruling running any country and you might be right but what, the, what about those sanctions coming from outside though, my issue with nationalizing because they're they're now moving into silver mines and, and um and gold mines and taking over and nationalizing the issue that they had with nationalizing in venezuela is when you nationalize governments are inefficient and ineffective against the free market the free market has to immediately react whereas the when it's a government, they can run on and be continue yeah. to be inefficient. This is why you need the free market. They are the experts going in and dealing with it. When you take that out and everything's run by the government, they haven't a clue what they're doing. What happened in Venezuela? The the oil dried up. They couldn't. They hadn't the skills to implement it, and that's why you need that free market. I'm not against the free market. I'm not against AI. They are. And before we come back, before we come back to where we have plenty of common ground, look, I hear you and there's Mm. a lot of merit in your argument and I'm not in any way patronising you. There is. Mm. But we can't ignore, Melissa, that the the sanctions that were imposed on these governments made it impossible to sell their oil. We're seeing it at the moment. 
Uh, so I hear you. Yeah, I don't, I think, I, I, I was very much when I was younger in favour of public-private partnerships if they were done properly, you know, with, with, with transparency and honesty. So I've, I've never been anti-free market. I don't think old socialists ever were anti-free market. There was a marriage there somewhere. I yeah. hear you loud and clear. I've, you know, I've, I've had these discussions with, with, uh, with many people over the years, Jeff Berwick and, and others, and we've, we've, we, we could be talking all day long. To, to get back to where we are, because I don't think ultimately it bloody matters what I think anymore about Chavez or Alendi. It's where we are and where and where we're going. Do you think, you know, you, you talk about debt forgiveness and stuff. Do you think it's a possibility in the next three to four years that people's, you know, bail-ins are a possibility? Do you think bail-ins, Melissa, are a possibility at the outset? of any- Bail-ins yeah. are, they're a strong possibility if this, system collapses before they have the new system in place they are going to let the banks fail at the at the price that will be paid by the common man it always is yeah. in weimar germany when hyperinflation kicked in therefore your debt would be inflated away for your mortgage they actually went back in and renegotiated the mortgages of people in terms of gold so the banks were still kept safe it's always us Always us. The common person that pays the price. There is the potential for bank bail-ins, but the issue with inflation right now, and that's the attack on your purchasing power. What I see moving forward, we are moving into central bank digital currency. This system is it's dead. The body is twitching at this stage. We, we are moving into this system. The commercial banks, therefore, are no longer needed. With central banks going direct, you will be have a central bank digital wallet on your phone they will act as i imagine administrators because they have they can be the middle and gather the data the central bank hasn't the capacity to do that at this stage that's their objective moving forward it's not when people say that it's you know where, where are you getting that from that's their own if you go and read um the papers from the jackson hole symposium that's what was stated then, even with the central bank digital currency, they've been working on central bank digital currency since 2014. Around then, um, China are working with uh, the BIS to kind of iron out the kinks in it right now. Cent- um, it's already been trialled. The digital yuan is already active and being trialled in China. This is where we're moving towards. It's a, rule, a rules-based currency. Vaccines and masks, yeah. this is what we're moving towards. We're all focusing on the immediate problems, like mandated vaccines and masks, which are serious problems. But but you're right, they're a distraction from what's also going on behind the scenes. I think you're absolutely bang on. I mean, for ten well, or, to accept a loss of freedoms. To accept a loss of your freedoms, va- yeah. The, the vaccines and the masks... It's it's always a slow thing. If you say yes to something, then you can say yes to something else and yeah. yes to something else. And it snowballs. And that's where it came from a few weeks to flatten, flatten the curve to where we are right now. That will be the same. We're, we're accepting a loss of freedoms. And if you give up your bodily autonomy, the sky's the limit for what you will give up. What you will do. In terms of this, um, what I'm talking about with the socialist and carbon credit, our social, uh, social and carbon credits system. This has already been put into Northern Ireland. There, there is Epic Software is being installed in Northern Ireland right now, being trialled, ready for rollout next year. That is all your medical, social, 
data on, on one system. But I have had somebody come to me who has seen the system. There is provisions in that for um, criminal records, for your driving license and your financial records. That is the same as the NHS app that's being rolled out all over the UK. This is happening while we are consenting to vaccines because nobody has taken the vaccine by force. Really, it's it's a coercion, but it's it is consent. You're and right. we will have to consent to the new system because we're so used to it. Now, for accepting loss of freedoms right now in the south and now in um, Northern Ireland, they have these passports active. So if you have taken part in this clinical trial, you can go out to eat in restaurants, even though you can go in and pass it on to anybody in there. That's fine. So one side is pitted against the other side. And they're happily eating in the restaurants and we are a little bit better that we can't and, and have little respect for those who would allow this to happen. But eventually the people that are eating in the restaurants right now will lose their freedoms and they can't really do anything or say anything about that because they have accepted a portion of society losing their freedoms. That's right. It's all conditioning. Everything is conditioning to move us into then the social credits. The end game is central bank digital currency um, adopted through social and carbon credits. And that's In total. order to get that, you have to have a digital ID. In order to get a digital ID, the entryway into digital ID is these uh, vaccine passports. I don't call them vaccine passports. They're not vaccine passports. They're data passports. Melissa Shumay is our guest. And the, the person who owns or who runs the centralised digital currency it's a rule-based currency you mentioned at the top of the conversation melissa that conditions come with you being able to spend that money i, I might go now i'm a i'm a particularly healthy fit guy i'm i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a runner but maybe i'm not you know maybe i'm a heavy guy maybe maybe i'm a little bit overweight maybe they maybe there's an instruction sent to my wallet that i shouldn't be able to buy i don't know a bottle of coca-cola maybe Maybe I'm I'm told I can't travel here, maybe. Maybe I'm told that I can't take the car out more than twice a week because of the carbon footprint that I'm leaving behind me. All of this stuff is possible, isn't it? It's absolutely possible because this is programmable money. Yeah. And when you combine all of your medical data with your financial data, they can take a look at you and say, well, your BMI is up a little bit, so yeah. we're going to shut you off from or reduce your allowance for this part of the economy. What I tell people is it's a matter of time. You might be happy now that your passport gets you into these places. It's a matter of time before everybody's light turns from green to red. The WEF have put out um, that they want the, the, the Internet of Things is where we currently are, where your phone connects to your TV, connects to your fridge, connects to your car, connects to your smartwatch. That's your wearable. They are moving towards the Internet of Bodies, where it will be uh, wearable, which we all have now, an ingestible or an injectable. That's their yeah. words. In terms of carbon, if you have a look at MasterCard, carbon credits, MasterCard are working in partnership now with the WEF. I know that a lot of people have had their visa switched to MasterCard. They're working in partnership. And if you look and go on the MasterCard website, they are giving you a carbon rating 
for your purchases. And it actually says on the site that they can shut you off if you have reached your carbon limit. I did not know this. You are kidding me now. Tell me you're joking. It, it's on their website. Oh my God. So that's it. That's, well, that's the essence of social crediting. We'll give you a carbon rating on the things mm-hmm. you have bought. You bad person. You bought this jumper. You bought this blouse and it travelled from Scotland. You bad person. You created all this carbon. This is mad stuff, this. I know this. I've, I've been listening to researchers, Jim Mars and others, going back years, telling me this was coming, Melissa. And I kind of knew it, but at the same time, I'm thinking, we're here now. I mean, this is it. It's just about ready to, it, to, to go. Yeah, we, we are here. And we have a very short space of time. For me, it's a ratchet system. So it's only going one way. We can't go back. So every step we take further, we have to be aware that there's no going back. And as I explained before, it's, it is dominoes. If you pull out two or three dominoes, that's it. System can't go further. No matter what, there is no going back. So the new system is going to be either dictated by this Davos crew of um, billionaires, or we're going to have to come up with a new system ourselves. Before we talk about that and before we talk about pensions and your opinions mm-hmm. on pensions, because everybody is terrified about their pensions, including friends of mine uh, back home. I've got to ask you this. You don't have to answer it. Maybe there is no answer to it. Maybe there's no easy answer to it. Why does somebody want to do this to humanity? And who? And what? I'm sure it's not any particular, you know, national group of people. I'm sure it's not just the Chinese. I'm sure it's not the, you know, I'm sure it's not the Americans, the Russians, the Israelis. What's going on here? I've had people on here, very articulate people, very educated people. You're an educated woman yourself. And they say that there's something almost demonic about this. John Waters, great Irish journalist, says to me, it's demonic, Richie, this. What do you think? For me, it's, as I say, it's the personality type. So these are generational and it's psychopaths. And if you look into the psychology of a psychopath, it's, you have a greater understanding of what's going on right now. They are trying to rule the entire world. They're moving in. They know that the framework that we're currently in, the free market, is the most effective. So they have made the decision that if they can get everything in artificial intelligence, that, that's real-time data, they can run a free market under a socialist system. But these people don't care about humanity. They don't care about money. The essence of money is control. So they just want to extract all the wealth from us right now to get total control over humanity. That is the psychopathic mindset. That's why they want to close down all small to medium businesses. The businesses that are complying to this right now, I'm sorry to tell them, you are the first line of attack right now. They are, you are on their radar. Their job right now is to crush you. So if you keep on complying, keep on complying, your business will be gone. They need everybody dependent on the state. They'll introduce universal basic income. Sounds like a wonderful idea. You get to um, stay at home and, I don't know, paint whatever you fancy doing. The truth of the matter is, if there's no production, there's no consumption. So if you handed everybody in the world one million pounds right now, nobody would go out to work and everybody would turn into consumers and there would be nothing produced. How long do you think? Maybe um, a few weeks before there's nothing left. Yeah. 
to consume. Money's worthless then. This new system does not want you to be a consumer. This new system is not dependent on that anymore. That's the debt-based system. That is dead. This new system is dependent on you being obedient. They have a social credit system in China. They are rolling it out. You can see it happening here now with incentives and punishments if you're obedient or not to this new system. We are being slowly, actually not that slowly, conditioned into it. And they are using, instead of us, realizing who the real enemy is, who we really are at war with, we're turning on each other. Yeah. It's the jab against the unjab, the mass against the unmask. You don't even, it's not difficult to see where the division is because if, if I go out and I don't have a mask on, there's people that just look at me yeah. and hate me. Yeah, and it's, it's the same coming from the people who don't wear the masks. They're looking at the ones that are wearing the masks, judgmental. So they have created this division. Even within um, social media, there's social media for one side, social media for the other side. You have YouTube versus BitChute. They are pushing people apart because then they will attack each other. And people need to wake up to this and unite. It doesn't matter. At this stage, anybody who has taken um, part in this clinical trial, I think the majority realise that they have been lied to. They must do, Melissa. They must do. 20 months in... And they're being told, oh, I'm sorry now, you've had two jabs and you've even had a third jab, but we've got to, you know, keep the masks on. Don't see so many people before Christmas. It must be dawning on them now. It must be. Well, it has to be. And yeah. I think they are getting angry about it. I think they know that they were lied to. They know that they were told that it was protect to protect the vulnerable. They were told they were given the impression that it was to protect others. That was a lie. They were given the impression that they would be immune from this um, virus. That's another lie. I know multiple people that have t- double jabbed and have taken COVID. Me too. So then, and if they were told to begin with, if when I post something on social media and it comes up with um, these vaccines have been um, rigor- rigorously tested, but if if they have been so test so rigorously tested, would the, would they aware then that it doesn't work for the first two weeks? But it doesn't really work until you get the second one. And then it kind of stops working after six months. You really are only covered for protection within four months. If they had told anybody that, nobody would have taken part in it. People were lied to. And at this stage, 20 months in, they have to realize that what the new normal means is constantly changing the goalposts and be obedient. It's just just do this one more thing. It started off with wearing a mask. And now we're here almost two years in. And you have to get your, th- in order to be fully vaccinated, you have to now have three. They're coming out and saying that, that it's a three jab vaccine. That's right. Uh, Spanish government just committed economic suicide uh, today. It's um, It depends more on the UK and Ireland than it does in any other country for tourism. I lived in Spain for some years. Mm-hmm. I loved it there. So did my, my, my better half. And uh, Spain has said um, you don't get in unless you're... Um, in double jabbed and I've got friends who have apartments there they've owned them for years they love going there I have one friend in particular who will not have the job and um, he's petrified he's I can't I can't go there now I've got an apartment there I can't go there it's it's astonishing stuff it's it's it's, it's absolutely, deliberate it's yeah. a creative destruction this yeah. is that's why the goalposts are constantly changing now Ireland was told that if everybody was double vaccinated and everybody took part in the passport 
system that they could reopen the economy. Yeah. And now there's been a change of plan that, oh, um, the bars now closes at 12 o'clock. Yeah, that's right. Um, and the only people allowed into the bars are the ones that have the vaccine. And people still aren't connecting that this is about an economic collapse and it's not going to stop. There's a likelihood of further lockdowns. They want it to be that every, whenever small to medium businesses are holding on right now, they're trying to shake them off the tree. And the move then goes to the large corporations, the Amazons, because if you're not banned on the high street, you're banned on the computer. And the likelihood of you banning the computer is that you're going to be banned from Amazon. Then you are at the mercy of Amazon for prices. And you are also at the mercy of these large corporations should they decide, well, no, you're not allowed to buy that. They can, they're reducing everything to larger corporations to centralise control. That's a very and important point, more, Melissa. That point you made yeah. there, you made it earlier. It's very important. In the not too distant future, with the CD, with the with the digital currency, yeah, you might be regularly stopped from purchasing certain things for Absolutely. for whatever you could reason. Be out in a bar, and they could yeah. say, "Well, um, that's six drinks time. You're, You're shut off." Yeah, they have complete control over every aspect of your financial and medical lives. Ideally, they have talked about quantum tattoos where they can remotely medicate you this is this is their objective now whether they achieve it or not i think um i mean the video that i did for the irish inquiry in six days it got almost half a million views on youtube now if that had been posted a year ago you would maybe have got a thousand at most yeah people now are awake they know that the narrative that being fed is a lie and they want answers. This is why the narrative, if you notice, is quickly being moved away from COVID towards um, the climate change. That's right. They're, mo- they're already they're already moving it in that direction because if they can get you to believe that a virus that you can't see is the enemy, how easy is it to get you to believe that and that you're protecting you're protecting Granny? Well, then you're completely selfish and do you not care about humanity and the planet if you don't buy into this carbon credit system? Carbon credits, Tesla makes a lion's share of its profits from carbon credits. There's a carbon credit system operating globally that is a multi-million pound operation. This has already been implemented. They just want to implement it on an individual level, in talking about Tesla, it's important that people realize that both Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, two of well, two, two smart guys, I would say that they're way, way smarter than most, have cashed in quite a portion of their position in the stock market. JP Morgan did that just before the collapse of the Great Depression. The stock market is at all time highs. Crypto is at all-time highs. The housing market is in a bubble. We are in an everything bubble. And when that pops, it's going to be painful for absolutely everybody. And that's what I would tell people with pensions. I would, I personally don't have a pension. This is where I started looking into it. People kind of delegate their pension, the retirement over to a business. That's right. That business is not there for your benefit. They're there to make profits. Now, with the way the economy has been working lately, 
they're moving away from bonds within pensions and it's a lot of it is put into the stock market. In the stock market collapse, that's a dangerous position to be in. And it happens really quick, really slowly. And then it happens faster than you ever thought it could. So people need to go in and have a look. Contact um, your broker or whoever you have your pension with and ask them what way are you positioned with that pension? What is it, what is your pension portfolio? That's what I would advise people because you have you have a lot of issues with pensions because of the speculative asset of the stock market. The stock market is hugely overvalued. Elon Musk knows this even with Tesla. Tesla is probably valued two to three times what it should. And he's aware of this, and this is why he is cashing out part of it. He's making any excuse. Wasn't, wasn't it funny, wasn't it? Part of his position. Wasn't it funny putting a, a poll on Twitter asking people to determine whether or not he should sell stock? And the, it was obvious that people were going to say, yeah, go ahead and do that. And just on the pension thing, for the reasons you described, I don't have a pension either. That will come as an absolute shock to some of my friends. I have no pensions. I get badgered morning, noon and night by my bank. Um, to put my meagre savings into these schemes that they've got going. And I just tell them, well, the second word is off, you know, because um, I'm not going I, to do yes, that. Yes, I don't hand over it. That is, I, I have financial autonomy. So for me, I think the smartest thing to do if is take control of your own pension. So have it in property or you take control of it. Because if it fails, you're responsible for it. So absolutely learn as much as you can. For me, I went into property because it generates an income. Now, there is issues with property right now. Uh, with the carbon credit system, they want to put ratings on homes. So you have an energy rating. If you combine that then with your programmable money, they can decide that you can't sell that house unless you maybe install some fuel burner or they can decide that if, if you sell it that you won't get such a good interest rate that's that stupid heat pump interest rate that yeah, you won't that, be able yeah. to get yeah that's they stupid heat pump that doesn't it. work yeah, yeah they'll yeah. just give it an energy rate and that's what I, my yeah. concern is for the rental market but as i said this is their objective it's not something that's going to happen within the next one two three years but that's where they're moving towards. And people, if you're aware of it, then you see it and then you can kick back. But always know it's a ratchet system. So every time you take that little step further, there's no going back. There's no going back. And when are we looking at the end of the decade for this to be in place? Maybe. Yes. Yeah. The, well, as I say, actuarially, this current economy cannot survive past 2028. The issue with pensions as well, there's a demographic issue with pensions. Like in 1950s, there was seven people. It's a it's a Ponzi scheme. Whether you like to admit it or not, it is. And the last one, it's going to um, pay the price. In 1950s, it was seven to one. So seven people paying into one person cashing. Then around 2000, it went down to five to one. By 2030, that's going to be two to one. That's not sufficient. The money going out because of the baby boomer generation is not being put in. So there is a pension crisis. The money isn't there. 
the money is not there to 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 start paying people once they get to that age. No. Sure, that had a lot to do with encouraging people to retire later, and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Melissa Shumay is our guest. She's an investor from Northern Ireland and um, has made some very interesting videos about this. You've been hearing her in the last forty minutes describe why she thinks uh, how she thinks this is going and why it's going there. Um, we've got a few more minutes left, but Melissa, I'm getting bombarded with 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 questions from people. So many, many. I'm not surprised, but quite a lot of people have come across you already. But for those who don't, where should they find you? Is it on Facebook? Is it on YouTube? I do post on Facebook and on Instagram. I don't. I put up my original lockdowns do work video on um youtube just somebody asked me to put it up they couldn't get it i don't tend to post on youtube because my other video was taken down Censor. within six days yeah. <laughs> so yeah Censor. i try um i'm quite uh, strategic in what i say um trying to keep within the boundaries to say it without actually saying it because it's a matter of time before we are all taken off of social media and it's they're moving in my lockdowns do work was on my um Facebook page for a long time, but now we're moving away from um, medical disinformation and they're now near attacking. You can't say anything against climate change or no. you're demonetized on YouTube and they're moving into economic disinformation. I had a big battle with YouTube a few years ago. Um, this program had a channel that was over 100,000 subscribers. We used to get 60,000, 70,000 views a day. So I would do the radio show and a friend of mine would put an image on it and stick it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been a journalist for many years. I'm an ethical journalist. So I would interview people and I would challenge them pretty hard, depending on, you know, but, but, but I'd be nice. I'd let them speak. That was the whole point of it. And anyway, they kicked the channel and I did as much as I possibly could to go after them for it. And said, you know, I, I've interviewed people who have, you know, strong opinions about climate change and other things. But I have done my job. I've, you know, served up my part of the bargain. I've challenged them. And uh, no, no, it's, uh, you know, violating their policies on hate speech and this and on that and on the other. And eventually that, that was the end of that. So I, I saw that coming down the line. Twitter have done it. PayPal are doing it to a lot of independent content creators, particularly if they've got a big reach. So they did it to me as well. And listen, it's not about me. I don't care. And it didn't hurt me at all because I knew it, it was coming. But this this is, yeah, this is going to be par for the course. And we can't have people like Melissa Shumay walking around with, you know, an, an experience of understanding this stuff and speaking about it eloquently. We just can't have that. So yeah, of course, your YouTube channel will be deleted eventually. Yeah. And don't forget the online harms bill is possibly going to be um, put before Parliament this side of Christmas, maybe not, maybe it'll be January, yeah. but that will be the end of programmes like this. And again, that's not melodrama, dear listener. This programme will not be on the air in its current form by the middle or the end of next year. They won't tolerate it. Of course they won't. Well, this is the danger of the internet. Um, it's, it's useful for them to programme and control us with social media and what they put in front of us. But all the information that they have we now have and that's dangerous yeah so that's why they have to shut down on this they do not want the information that we are talking about getting out like i say um a lot of people say there's this idea that i'm kind of pulling this you know out of the air this is all documented yeah. through government um imf wef um visor i've looked at all the their actual pages and papers and documents 
to get this. And then you read um, from, say, the say Jackson Hole, if you look into that and what, let's say Mark Carney made a statement at Jackson Hole, he's actually advising Boris Johnson. Uh, he had, was it one of Boris Johnson's advisors at COP26, uh, former Bank of England governor and previously from Goldman Sachs, seems to be now an expert on climate. Yeah. I'm not saying that there is or there isn't um, climate change, I I couldn't even begin to start talking about that. What I will tell you is that these people do not care about the planet. No, they couldn't give it down. You're absolutely right. They are want to move into this new green QE and green assets. This is their new method, financial method. They're hijacking with it because the ones that are polluting it are certainly not going to be the ones that are going to fix it. So, yeah, that's what I would read. And... Um, you have the World Economic Forum do every year you have um they'll they'll pick a topic. It was what is it, supply chain issues in two thousand and twenty. And um or sorry, cyber attacks in two thousand and twenty and then two thousand twenty one cyber attacks on the supply chain. So they're putting it out there. They're giving you the information whether you choose to believe it or not but if you start looking into Davos a vast majority of the politicians that are supposedly running the world are attending Davos that seems like top-down direction to get their instructions to yeah. get their, we, we, we had it for for decades with the Bilderberg group um, yeah. The Rockefeller Foundation's round table groups like the Council on mm -hmm. Foreign Relations, think tanks that are designed to tell politicians this is the way it's going to be. Uh, absolutely right, Melissa. We're, we're, we're nearly out, up on time for, for, for today. I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I, I will uh, link, when I, when I put the podcast up later on, I'll put a link to um, the YouTube channel and the Facebook uh, page as well uh, for you. I hope you will stay in touch with us and you'll come back. Uh, when there's more to talk about, yeah, it's it's desperate to be talking about this stuff. It really is, and and I always try. I mean, I've tried for the last twenty months to inject as much humour into it as I possibly can. You know, as much satire. It's getting more difficult. I, though. I think it's a great time to be alive. To be honest, I, it, this has been tried in history many times. It never works. What I am finding, what's happening now within um, hospitals, there is alternative, as in real medicine, is now rising up again and people are looking into that for healthcare and they're looking at prevention rather than the cure. So there is, that is rising. I don't particularly like the consumer lifestyle. I think that we lost track of why we are on this planet. It's definitely not to just work and consume. It's not five days on, two days off, five yeah. days on, two days off until you die. There's definitely more to it, but we have been distracted by that. So I like the idea that we maybe will get a real purpose in life again if we are taken away from that, because we did have this opportunity. And I certainly over this past two years in particular have met some absolutely amazing people. I have learned so much. I have changed my mindset. So for me, I think it's great. It's money isn't the be all and end all. All you really need is food, shelter, warmth, and people that you care about.
And a solar flare could come. It happened before the Carrington event that if a solar flare came right now, it would wipe absolutely everything out anyway. So it would, it would wouldn't it too? It w- well, well, we just yeah. wouldn't have any electricity yeah. now. We would be miserable without yeah. um, our phones. We might be, but good luck running your social credit carbon credit system with yeah. uh, with no electricity. <laughs> this is the thing. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. If we didn't have our phones, it would be miserable for what a month, and then you just get on with it. I I'm from the generation before phones. Yeah, me too. We're a similar age. Get, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the internet. <laughs> me, me, me and you both, we remember going down the end of the road with 20 or 30 pence in our back pocket yeah. to call one of our friends. Yeah. yeah. And when, when, when you just didn't have phones. I remember the first phone we had in the early 1980s, my mum ripped it out of the wall after five weeks after we got the first bill from yeah. Telecom Aaron. That's right. I remember those times as well with great nostalgia and sadness and fondness and Absolutely. I think we were better off. Um, I, I see so many times when you go out, you'll see two people sitting together and they're both on their phone. People have forgot how to connect. And I think we need to really have a look at what has happened in this past 20 years with phones, particularly in this past 10. And maybe take a look at moving away from that. I kind of get overwhelmed sometimes with messages, which has left me that I just, I budget a certain portion of time now. I'm actually better off because I just, portion an amount of my time to yeah. my phone and then the rest of it is just if I get a call or just the regular um phone use people get obsessed with social media and it's just it's it's wasting your time what are you actually doing there you're just you're wasting your time it's echo chamber stuff it's neg- ultimately it's yeah. negative and it does have an impact on on your emotional state of being I have, I have no doubt about that look I'll ask you back after Christmas. I hope you will come back. I'll tell you why. Because Perfect, I, yeah. I know you went to, to TCD and I know you did theology and I'd like mm-hmm. to talk about some of those themes because I think it's relevant to what's happening. You know, I, I'm going to be speaking to John Waters again this side of Christmas about that. John's fascinated by that aspect of it. But um, no, we'll stay in touch, Melissa. Uh, just thanks for your time today. Thanks for sharing Perfect. your time with us. And uh, thanks for for doing what you're doing. Like I said, articulately explaining how it, I mean I see it as you see it but explaining it in a way that's pretty simplistic and that's not to suggest that people are stupid but they're being overwhelmed, overwhelmed by information so there's never been a better time for somebody like you to say look this is the way it's going and this is how it's happening so thank you for doing that I mean that and look enjoy the rest of your Wednesday and I look forward to next time Talk to you soon Thanks Melissa You um, have been listening to Melissa Shumay live on Wednesday's Richie Allen Show Melissa is an investor from Northern Ireland who had studied theology at Trinity College in Dublin, would you believe? And she's been making videos about lockdowns and why lockdowns happened, why vaccine mandates are inevitable and the social credit, carbon credit system of living that is being, well, they want to impose on us in the future, the tyranny of it. And uh, she does it very, very well. So thanks to those listeners who got in touch with me to tell me that she's, first of all, that she exists I did go and look at those videos, as I generally do, and uh, that's why I invited her on today. Thanks again to Melissa. Thanks to Janet, who came on in the first hour of the programme to talk about her experiences of working in a private residential home. Uh, Good luck to Janet going forward in the next uh, few weeks. We'll we'll stay in touch with her, and when there are any updates there, I'll bring them to you on this programme. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, excuse me, your Wednesday. 
Yes, it is Wednesday. And I'll be back with you tomorrow at five o'clock UK time with Thursday's Richie Allen show. Take care of yourselves and one another. Bye now.